Hi there, this is Kevin Skinner, pastor at First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. If you live in the Stockdale area, then I would invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. to worship with us in person. You can also check out our webpage at fbcstockdale.org. Here at First Baptist, we are a community church with a kingdom mission, and we invite you to join us on that mission. Well, you've probably heard the phrase or even used the phrase bundle of joy when referring to a newborn baby. April 7, 2008 and December 23, 2013, those are the dates in our house that we got to meet our bundles of joy. Emily being born in 2008 and Ethan being born in 2013. So since Emily was our first child, uh, we decided to take some parenting classes that the hospital offered. And and they weren't just parenting classes, they were also birthing classes. So they they taught us some techniques to to help us out during birth and and then also uh, gave us some practical tips for, uh, for when we got home with our baby as well. But when Emily was born, she actually ended up having to be delivered via C-section, which they did not prepare us for in this, this class. And so everything that we had planned to do in this class, learned to do these things together, because Emily was going to be born via C-section and because Sarah was going to have to have some time to recover, I was going to have to do some of this stuff on my own, like changing a diaper. And so I remember when we settled into the, the hospital room after Emily was delivered, they brought Emily into the room, put this bundle of joy in my arms, and as the nurse was leaving, I said, so what do I do when she needs a new diaper? What button do I push to call you to come back in here? (laughs) And she said, no, you have to change her diaper. And all of a sudden, the, the weight of parenthood, I could feel that weight on my shoulders as I held this bundle of joy in my arms. So we're in a series right now titled Undeniable Joy. And as we're going through this series, we're simply walking through the book of Philippians. So let me just pause right here as I do each week and remind you of our working definition for biblical joy. Joy is that good feeling of peace, happiness, and contentment that comes from the spirit that's at work within us, regardless of the circumstances that are at work around us. And as I've said each week, the spirit that I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, which is given to every single believer upon the moment of our salvation. And so if you've given your life to Christ, then you have received this Spirit, the Holy Spirit, in your life, and the Holy Spirit is at work within you to produce joy in your life, even when the circumstances of your life may not be joyful. Now, if you haven't yet given your life to Christ, then understand that's where you need to begin. You need to begin with salvation. You need to begin with giving your life to Christ. Before you start pursuing this joy, you first need to begin by pursuing Jesus. Because apart from Christ as your Lord, apart from salvation through Jesus Christ, you will not have this spirit in you, and therefore you will not have this joy being produced in you even when the circumstances are not joyful. Jesus is the starting point for you. Now, if you remember last week, I talked about 
Paul experiencing both sorrow and joy simultaneously. He was experiencing sorrow because he's in prison, but he's also experiencing joy in the midst of prison, recognizing that that God is using his time in prison for God's glory, for Paul's good, and for the advancement of the gospel. And I think that having a a newborn baby gives us a, a good understanding of experiencing some of these emotions simultaneously. Because when we have a, a new child, when, when we become a parent, we quite, we quite certainly feel joy, temporary earthly joy, right? We feel this joy when we become a parent, but it's also accompanied with other emotions as well. We might also feel fear and anxiety. Many times as parents, we, we also feel worry for our children. Even after children grow up, parents still feel worry for their kids. But what I would also say as we think about the, these bundles of joy, when, when we hold this, this newborn baby in our arms for the first time, the, this isn't the end of the joy that we get to experience as parents. This is really just the, the beginning of the joy that we experience as parents. This is the launching point of the joy that we get to experience as parents, and then we're going to experience this joy as we get to watch our children grow. But it's also the beginning of other things as well. It's the beginning of of the challenges of parenthood as well. It's the beginning of having to get through those tantrums that our kids have, having to get through the battles of will It's the beginning of of experiencing their hurts and their sickness with them, taking care of them when they're sick, feeling pain right alongside of them. And so as we think about parenthood, when we hold that bundle of joy in our arms for the first time, it's not the end of the journey for us as parents. It's really the beginning of the journey for us. So now I want us to shift our minds back to our walks with Christ because when we give our lives to Christ, when we become that newborn baby, that new believer in Christ, as we think about our walks with Christ, I want you to understand when we come to Christ, it's not, we haven't reached the goal, the journey has just begun. When we give our lives to Christ, we haven't reached the goal The journey has just begun, and it's a journey that may be filled with struggles and challenges. It may be filled with persecution and suffering, but because of Christ and because of his his spirit that's at work within us, it's also a journey that, that is filled with joy as well, true, biblical, lasting joy as well. We haven't reached the goal. The journey has just begun. We're going to see this at work in our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Now, as you're turning there, I want to take you back to the end of our passage from last week. Because at the end of the passage last week, what Paul said at the end, Paul began to talk about his goal. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to set goals for myself. I started this practice a a few years ago when I was up in Wataga. At the start of each year, I would sit down and I would write goals down for myself that I wanted to accomplish in the new year. Some of these goals may have included books that I wanted to read, uh, a podcast that I wanted to start, a blog that I wanted to write. 
So I would set these goals for myself and then I would let these goals inform the decisions that I made throughout the year so that I could achieve that goal, so that I could reach that goal. You see, goals give us direction. Goals give us direction. This is, this is true in sports as well. E- even if you don't know much about football, if you go to the football games on Friday nights, which let me just say, the game on Friday night, man, that was intense. If you were there, that was an intense game. I'm glad that the Brahmas pulled it out in the end. But even if you don't know about, much about football, if you go to the football game, you, ha- you have to have this basic understanding that each team, they're, they're going towards a goal. When they have, a ball, have the ball in, in their possession, they are heading towards their goal. They're going the direction of the goal. Goals give us direction. They inform the direction that we are heading. And so at the end of the passage that we looked at last week, Paul begins to talk about his goal. In verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3, Paul says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. To put it simply, Paul's goal was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And this goal is really a goal. This really informed all of the decisions that Paul made in his life. Now, this isn't to say that Paul didn't have temporary goals, temporal goals, earthly goals. But, but his ultimate goal or his chief goal was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. In other words, Paul was living for something more than the here and now. Now, Paul was certainly living in the here and now. He, he was being persecuted, being imprisoned for sharing the gospel. He was being impacted by the here and now. But even while he was in prison for sharing the gospel, he was still living for something more than the here and now. Because while he was in prison, he continued to share the gospel. His hope His joy, his resolve was not lost while he was in prison because he was living for something more than the here and now. So let me just pause and ask, are you living for something more than the here and now? Are you living for something more than the here and now? Now, I'm not saying that we can't have temporary or earthly goals for ourselves in this life, but are you living for something more than simply those temporary and earthly goals because here's the reality at the end of the day really at the end of this life it's not going to matter whether or not you read a ton of books or or whether or not you started a podcast wrote a blog it's not going to matter how far you moved up in your company or how big of a house you built for yourself how much money you have in your bank account None of that is going to matter at the end of your life. The only thing that's going to matter when you stand before God is whether or not you know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That's the only thing that's going to matter when we stand before God. And so the question is, are you living for something more than the here and now? And if you aren't, then let me encourage you, begin Begin today living for something more than the here and now. And you start by adopting the same goal that Paul had. 
to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's the greatest goal that we can ever have. And so when, when knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection becomes our goal, then that's going to inform every other goal that we have. It's going to inform every other decision that we make in this life. And we're going to see this at work in, in our passage right now. So let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Paul said, Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained." Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I've often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. They're focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, I want to begin by highlighting what we see Paul say there in verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold, uh, been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Now, as we look at Paul's words there, there, there are a couple of kind of churchy words, fancy words that we could use to, de to describe what's going on there. And those words are justification and sanctification justification and sanctification. So biblically speaking, justification is what happens for the believer at the moment of salvation. When we give our lives to Christ, when we come to know Jesus as Lord, our sins are removed from us because he took them upon himself on the cross and his righteousness is given to us. And so when we come to Christ, we are justified by Christ, not by our own works, but by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so if you've given your life to Christ, then you have been justified. Paul had been justified. Clearly, he says, I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. There's no doubt that Paul's a believer, no doubt that Paul is a Christian, no doubt that he has received the righteousness of Christ in his life. So we see this word justification at work. Sanctification, on the other hand, is really an ongoing process in the believer's life. So the word sanctify, it really means to set apart for holiness. And so for the believer, we continue to grow in our sanctification as we daily turn from our sins, separating ourselves from our sinful desires. And so while Paul has clearly been justified, he's been saved, 
he also recognizes that he's still growing in his walk with Christ. He's still growing in his sanctification. That while Christ is taking hold of him, he's still pressing on to take hold of this holiness that we've been called to. Now, why is this important? Because what we have here is one of the greatest heroes of our faith admitting that he still isn't perfect. I don't know about you, but when I look at Paul's life, he is certainly one of my heroes in Scripture. In prison, proclaiming the gospel. In prison, writing a letter about joy. In prison, writing all of these letters to different churches. These letters that we're still learning from today. Paul's certainly one of my heroes in the faith. And yet Paul says right here, I'm still not perfect yet. I've given my life to Christ. Christ has taken hold of me, but I still am not perfect. So let me pause right here and say this. If you realize that you are not perfect, then you're not alone. If you realize that you're not perfect, then you're not alone. God's word is full of imperfect people. This church is full of imperfect people. And your pastor is still an imperfect person, right? God's word is is full of imperfect people. And Paul is one of these. He says, I still have not achieved perfection. But here's the beauty of all of this. Even though we are imperfect people, we worship a perfect God. And this perfect God provided for us in Jesus Christ the perfect sacrifice. And so if you've given your life to Christ, then like Paul says here, Christ has taken hold of you. And so now recognizing that that Christ has taken hold of you, recognizing that God is perfect and and that, that we have been called to salvation through Jesus Christ then our desire, our goal should be sanctification. Our goal should be to take hold of it just as Christ has taken hold of us. One of my former pastors, he often says it like this, and and I really couldn't put it more beautifully, so I'm just going to use his words. We are to continually become until we fully become like Jesus Christ. We're to continually become until we fully become like Jesus Christ. And when do we fully become like Jesus Christ? When we're standing in his presence, when, when, when we're no longer in this imperfect world, when, when we have been completely perfected in his presence, that's when we're going to fully become like Christ, which means that for all the days of our life, we're going to continually become more like Christ. And so Paul, he set this goal for himself to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And and this goal informed all of his decisions. And I believe that, that this should be for us as believers, this should be our goal as well to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And so this is going to inform all of the decisions that that we're going to make. We need to intentionally do some things if this is our goal. And so we're going to look at some of these things from this passage this morning. First, we're to focus on what's ahead. We are to focus on what's ahead. Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. It says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to, take, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. We are to focus 
on what's ahead. Paul really did live with this goal in mind. He was living with this goal in mind when he was preaching the gospel as a free man, and he was living with this goal in mind as he continued to preach the gospel while he was in prison. You see, his, his hope, his joy, and his resolve were not rooted in this life. His hope, his joy, and his resolve were rooted in what was to come and what was ahead. So let me pause right here and say this. When we focus on what's ahead, it helps us endure the things of right now. When we focus on what's ahead, it helps us endure the things of right now. Just as Katie and Rodney shared earlier, there are times that we go through some difficult things in this life. But when we, when we know what lays ahead, it gives us a hope and a joy even in the midst of the difficult times. This is what Paul understood. Paul was able to endure prison, endure suffering, endure persecution because Paul knew what lay ahead. When we, when we focus on what's ahead, we are able to endure the things of right now. So let me introduce you to a man by the name of Jim Thorpe. Jim Thorpe was a Native American from Oklahoma who competed in the 1912 Olympics. He represented the USA in both track and field. So it was the morning of his races when he discovered that someone had stolen his shoes. Now, he didn't let this detour him. He knew the goal that he had in mind. He knew the prize that was ahead. And so he borrowed a shoe from a friend. He found another shoe in a trash can. He put on these mismatched shoes. One of the shoes didn't fit, so he wore, wore some extra socks to make his foot a little bit bigger to keep that shoe on. And he ran those races that day with mismatched shoes, with shoe, a shoe that didn't fit, and he won two gold medals that day. When we focus on what's ahead, it helps us to endure the things of right now. He wasn't focused on not having his shoes. He wasn't focused on the shoe that didn't fit. He was focused on the prize. Are you focused on the prize? Are you focused on the goal? Focus on what's ahead. But also, also what Paul understood when he said this is, is what's ahead is far better than what's behind. What's ahead is far better than what's behind. He says, focus on what's ahead, forget what's behind. When we come to Christ, what are we really leaving behind? We're leaving behind our sin. We're leaving behind the things that have enslaved us, the things that lead to destruction for us, the things that lead to death. We're leaving behind separation from God. We're leaving behind all of these things that in the end don't offer us a true hope and a true joy. And what we are turning to is Jesus Christ, the one who died for us, the one who redeems us, the one who transforms us, the one who sets us free. I'm telling you what's ahead is far better than what's behind. So let's keep our focus on what's ahead and let's forget what's behind. The temptation sometimes is to turn back, to go back to those things, but we have to remember the goal, the prize is far better than what's behind. And so we're to focus on what's ahead. Second, second, we are to follow 
the faithful. Let's look at verse 17 again. It says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. We're to follow the faithful. Now understand, as Paul tells the Philippian church to follow his example, he's not doing this arrogantly. He's telling them to follow his example because he knows that he is following the example of Christ, that he is striving to continually become until he fully becomes like Jesus Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul knows he's imitating Christ, and so he says, follow me because I'm following a better example. This is a great reminder for us that we are to follow the faithful. So when I was growing up, I always wanted to be just like my daddy. In fact, I would put on a suit or tie, a suit and tie at times, because that's what my dad always wore, a suit and tie. Even if he was out mowing the lawn, he'd be wearing a suit and tie. I'm not even kidding, all right? And so I always wanted to be like my dad. So I'd put on a suit and tie and I'd tell anybody around, I'd say, just like my daddy. He would preach up here in this church, in this pulpit. I'd go home next door and I'd fashion for myself a pretend pulpit so I could pretend preach and I'd say, just like my daddy. During the prayer time here in this church, at the closing prayer, my dad would walk to the back door so he could shake everybody's hands. And during that prayer as well, I'd sneak out of the aisle and I'd go stand back there with him so I could shake people's hands as well because I wanted to be just like my daddy. As I got older, I remember every morning waking up and seeing him sitting at the breakfast table. You see, I wanted to become more like my daddy. He wanted to become more like his daddy, his heavenly father. And so he would grow and walk in his relationship with Christ. And so as I was imitating my father, he was imitating his father. And it's because of my dad's love for Christ and because of my dad's desire to follow and imitate Christ that I can say that I'm standing here before you today because of his faithfulness to become more like his father as I became more like my dad, I also became more like my heavenly father as well. So we're to follow the faithful. Paul says, imitate me, I, I'm also imitating Christ. So the question then is, who are you following? Who are you following? Are you following the example of those who are following Christ? Are you following the example of those who are going to spur you on in your relationship with Christ? Are you following the example of those who are going to continually point you towards the goal in Christ Jesus? Who are you following? And let me just encourage you, don't just follow anyone. Follow the faithful. Now, as a side note, before I move on to my next point, let me just say, Parents, your children are watching. So set the example for them by imitating Christ, by following Christ for yourself, that they might also learn to follow Christ for themselves. So we're to focus on what's ahead. We're to follow the faithful. Finally, this morning, we are to flee from the unfaithful. We're to flee from the unfaithful. Let's read verses 18 through 20 again. It says, For I have Often told you and now say again with tears, 
that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is, is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to flee from the unfaithful. Now, this is really a continuation of Paul's thought here as Paul tells them to imitate him, as Paul tells them to follow his example, to follow the example of those that are following the example of Christ. And so with this in mind, Paul is saying there are some who are not pursuing Christ. There are some who are not setting an example that we need to follow. So as I say we're to flee from the unfaithful, really what I'm saying is we are to flee from the example of the unfaithful. We are not to follow their example. We're not to follow their ideologies and philosophies. Listen, you can turn on the TV and look or look at your social media feed and you're going to see a lot of philosophies and ideologies that do not line up with God's word and do not line up with Christ. We are not to grab hold of those things and, and admire those things and strive to become more like those things that the world is pushing for. We are to follow those who encourage us to follow Christ. And so we're to flee from the example of the unfaithful. But I also want you to hear the tone of Paul's words here. Because as, as Paul talks about the unfaithful here, as he calls these people enemies of the cross, he says this with a broken heart. He's got tears in his eyes. He, he's not rejoicing or celebrating in the destruction of sinners. His desire is still that they would come to repentance, that they would come to know Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel, that their lives would be transformed. But he says, don't follow them. Don't let them be your example. And he says it with a broken heart. You know, Charles Spurgeon once said, winners of souls first need to be weepers of souls. Winners of souls must first be weepers of souls. We are to flee from their example, but our hearts are still to be broken for sinners. Our hearts are still to be broken for the lost. Our hearts are still to be broken for the unfaithful that we might be so moved to share the gospel with them that they might come out of their sin, that their end would not be destruction, that their God would not be their stomach, that they would receive a new goal, that they would receive a new prize in Christ Jesus. So I want to close with a story about my sister. And when she hears this, she's probably not going to be happy with me for telling this story. But when my sister was in high school, for one season, she played soccer. And I remember going to one of her games. It was in the winter time, And I know it was winter because we were bundled up in the stands with blankets around us. Now, I don't know much about soccer, but I knew enough to know that when the ball came to my sister and she started kicking it, she was kicking it in the wrong direction. And so we threw those blankets off and we stood up and we started shouting, turn around with urgency, turn around, which 
Maybe this will get me off the hook. She did turn around, all right? She did start kicking in the right direction. As Paul tells us to flee from the unfaithful, we're to still be broken for the unfaithful. And so if you're here today and you would say that that you haven't given your life to Christ, then I say this with brokenness, but I also say this with great urgency. Turn around. Your end is destruction. Your glory, your prize is only what you receive in this life. But if you will turn around to Jesus Christ you will receive a glory and a prize that will not end. Turn around. Don't wait another day. Turn around today. And let me tell you, if you will turn around, if you will turn to Jesus Christ, then not only will you receive Jesus, but you will also receive this true, biblical, lasting joy that only Jesus can give. Some of you have experienced that joy because you've experienced Christ. But if you haven't experienced Christ, if you've never allowed him to be your Lord, then I want to give you the opportunity to turn around today. So in just a moment, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, this is going to be your opportunity to respond. If you're here today and you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never allowed him to be my Lord. But today I recognize that he died for me, that he rose again, and today I'm ready to make him the Lord of my life. If that's you, if you're ready to turn around today, then I would invite you to respond. I'm going to be standing right down front. You can join me down here. We can talk. We can pray. Today can be the day that you receive the greatest prize you will ever receive, Jesus Christ himself. Maybe you're here and you would say, I've already given my life to Christ. But you recognize you've not been focused on what's ahead. Maybe you've been turning around and and focusing on the things of this world. Maybe you haven't been following the best examples. Maybe you need to, to lay some of that down at the feet of Jesus today. I would invite you, if you're a believer, to respond in that way. If you know there are things in your life. That, that aren't spurring you on towards the goal that we have been called to in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ, but I've never taken that step of baptism. Listen, baptism doesn't save us, but if we're going to walk or run this race in obedience to Christ, then we need to start with the first thing that he's called us to, and that's baptism. And so if you've given your life to Christ, but you've never taken that step, I would invite you to respond as well. I'd love to get your baptism on the schedule. Now, maybe you're here and you would say, I've given my life to Christ. I've been baptized already. I've been visiting this church. I know that God's calling me to make this my church home, to become a member of First Baptist Church Stockdale, to unite my life with this body of believers and the mission that this church body has. If that's you, then I would invite you to respond as well. You can come down. We can talk and pray. And you can become a member here at First Baptist Church Stockdale. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do in these final moments, I would just encourage you to respond obediently. Would you stand with me right now and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Thanks for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of every service, I offer an invitation to respond. And I'd like to invite you to respond today. 
If you'd like to make Jesus Christ your Lord, or if you'd like information about membership here at First Baptist Stockdale, then head on over to fbcstockdale.org respond. Your response will come directly to me, and I'll follow up with you this week. God bless you, and have a great week.